0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host mother-daughter team Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Welcome back to Healing the Grieving Heart for those of you just joining us today. Our topic is miscarriage and infant loss, and our second guest is Beth Seda. Beth Seda's life was transformed in 1997 with the death of her newborn son, Dylan. She is Executive Director of Compassionate Passages, researcher, author, and co-producer of the award-winning educational film, When a Child is Dying, and the accompanying Supportive Care Handbook. Welcome to the show, Beth. Thank you. you. Hi, Beth. Great to have you on the show. Um, During our last segment uh, with Monica Novak, uh, she mentioned SHARE, and I know we were talking a little bit uh, just a moment ago with Beth about SHARE, and uh, we wanted to uh, have Kathy Lambert on, who is the Executive Director for a moment, to tell us about the organization. So, uh, Kathy, are you there? No, we didn't put her on yet. Hopefully they'll put her on in a minute. So when, it, when they put her on, we will uh, hear from Kathy Lambert. But um, Beth, you're an executive director also, as is Kathy. You're at Compassionate Passages, right? Right. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into doing that? Sure.
1: Um, in 1997, um, at that time, I had been married for 12 years and had um, about six years of fertility issues when we learned that we were pregnant. We were totally thrilled that we finally became pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then at a 16-week routine ultrasound, learned that our baby had something called a congenital diaphragmatic hernia, Mm -hmm. um, and we were given a 50% survival rate. Mm -hmm. Um, What this birth defect is, it happens about one every 5,000 babies. There's a um, hernia or hole in the diaphragm, kind of when everything's uh, developing, and that allows organs to move up into the baby's chest, which then does not allow their lungs to grow and develop properly. And so you don't know until the baby's born if their lungs, if they have enough viable lung tissue uh, that they will be able to breathe on their own. So that was incredibly devastating news and um, it was very challenging uh, getting thrown all the medical information at us, but I was actually very grateful that we had five months sort of to prepare and learn <laughs> all of that and, and what might happen um, when mm-hmm. Dylan was born. Um, the other thing that was it was very helpful during this time, as soon as we got this prenatal diagnosis, a uh, counselor was put in touch with us um, to help Now, did
0: you have to deal with uh, people wanting to terminate the pregnancy?
1: Um, That was an option given to us. Um, Abortion was an option. Um, There's also fetal um, in utero surgery that you can Mm. do for this particular birth defect. Um, So we were kind of given the whole gamut and all the information. And actually, my husband and I were very pleasantly surprised that we were not sort of forced into anything.
0: Oh, good. Yeah,
1: that we were given the information and the options, and um, you know, we felt well equipped to make a decision. And you know, you know, for me, actually, my background is in research and statistics. I'm like, hey, 50% sounds like a good, like a good chance, and mm-hmm. you know, I did not even consider terminating the pregnancy, um, mm-hmm. and just tried to remain very positive um, during the pregnancy and try to enjoy the pregnancy. We had been trying to get pregnant for so long.
0: I was going to say, were the things that you, that you didn't have to do bed rest or anything, did you? No, no.
1: Okay. Um, really did not. I mean, I still played tennis. I did yoga. Mm-hmm. No, I'm still very physically active, which was, which was very nice. Um, and uh, the other thing, actually, was this counselor that was put in touch with us that was, that was very helpful to help us sort of understand that we were going to have to sort of adjust our expectations about our pregnancy and potentially the outcome, is we had asked to be put in a family, um, in touch with us who maybe have the same kind of experience or same kind of birth effect and that, that happened with a local family and that was just
0: invaluable experience in terms
1: of their daughter um, had lived from this uh, congenital diaphragmatic hernia but had been in the NICU for three months and just learned from them like what would it be like once the baby was born um, and we learned things that
0: It was great that you were so proactive. That you had the, you know, presence of mind to ask for those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, it was just. Uh, I think I tend to <laughs> tend to be that way. Pretty, um, pretty proactive about things. And I was just, again, grateful that they were able to identify a family and that they were willing to talk to us.
0: And then you had the baby.
1: Yes, um, Dylan was born full time and uh, all the neonatal bath was there. He had to be intubated immediately and, and taken to the NICU, and uh, we sort of lived for two weeks on a roller coaster—that uh, emotional roller coaster, sort of um, up and down—and um, was he going to live or not? And we had a couple of tears during that. Um,
0: and and how at, much did he weigh? How much did he weigh at birth? Uh,
1: he was seven pounds. I mean, he was—he okay. was a big, and that was very—you know—we found that very, I guess, helped. Um, with being very hopeful, is that mm-hmm. he was, you know, full term. He was big. He was beautiful. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so that you know, he had that going for him. Um, he had surgery to repair the diaphragmatic hernia. So they put the, sort of the organs back where they were supposed to be, and um, to see then if he would be able to breathe on. Done was actually very comforting.
0: Now, have you had a, a subsequently had any other children?
1: Yes. After Dylan, about a year later, um, I had an early miscarriage, which um, was sort of this bittersweet thing. Um, because we had fertility issues, I was concerned that we would might not be able to get pregnant again. So, to be able to at least.
0: Now, may I ask you how old you were, just for our audiences?
1: Um, I was 38 at the time when I gave birth to Dylan. Mhm.
0: Mhm. She isn't that terribly old. And then you had what uh, your? Oh, and Dylan's the son you have now.
1: No, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then you president. had a
0: miscarriage. And then, how old were you when you had your last pregnancy? Um,
1: seven. So you're 40. forty-nine. So, <laughs> I guess I was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. when I had Tyler.
0: Thank you. That's it's just nice for our audience to to think about their issues and what they're doing. Now you've gone on to do some fantastic things from what you've learned and and you're educating the community, educating doctors. I mean, talk about what you're doing.
1: Right. Um, from from that experience, um, and actually I was hearing Monica sort of talking about writing um, people were encouraging me when I was pregnant to sort of journal, and I had never done that before, and I was like, I am not <laughs> interested in doing that now. Um, but after Dylan died, then I really wanted to write, and sort of some of what also what Monica said in terms of you just want to capture all those moments that you experience. But um, another aspect of, of writing was, uh, my background is in consumer research, and so for the last. You know, 25 years I've been used to giving a voice to consumers. What do they like and don't like about products and services? And I felt I had just been a consumer of some healthcare services for myself and my son, and I really wanted to give feedback to the healthcare team. Um, they did some fabulous things and great care, but there were also some rooms for improvement. And so I wrote our story with that sort of perspective and in mind. Sent it to the healthcare team. Had absolutely no idea whether anybody was going to look or read it. it. But I found out that they totally embraced what I wrote. They were acting upon some of my recommendations, and so that was just a huge aha moment for me in terms of that. If I would share our family's experience and maybe other families' experiences, that it could help improve care um, that other families would experience. So that was kind of how Compassionate Passages originally came about, was sort of learning the impact of sharing families' stories. And and I learned that if I passed along what I learned to other families and that's how it it happened, happened. I passed information that I learned along to my colleague and, and executive, also co-executive director of Compassionate Passages. She had a sister who had a baby who was born with an inoperable brain tumor. And so I told them what we had learned. So they learned. And after both Ann and I had this experience.
0: And what did you learn? What would you say some of the major things are?
1: Oh, and these were some things that we learned from from the family we talked to you about you know, taking photos. You just don't sort of think about how important taking those photos are. Um, trying not to get caught up in that emotional roller coaster, um, being present, um, taking care of your your baby, um, you know, giving them a bath, putting lotion on them, um, getting them dressed, reading to them, singing to them, really being a parent and caring for them, which sometimes is very challenging when you're in a very intensive hospital medical situation because there are lots of high-tech machines and very capable um, nurses and doctors and social workers and therapists around you. And so sometimes it's hard to really be a parent in that
0: situation. Mm -hmm. And and, and what about after, for our audience out there who have had their children die, what about after you leave the hospital? Are you doing anything to help with aftercare and encourage people in that area in the healthcare community?
1: Um, yes, I mean I do a lot with bereavement care in terms of following up with people, writing writing notes, letters, um, you know, a- attending. Uh, services that families
0: have. Isn't that a lot of pressure on the staff? I mean, there's there's a huge amount of pressure right now uh, with health care costs uh, being cut back and all that. Uh, is, it, is that difficult? Do you see it that way? Or Because I know some parents have been very disappointed that some of their health care workers haven't been to the funeral or, you know, that kind of thing. What would you say?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is a challenge um, for for the healthcare care professionals. I always just tell them, you know, if you can, you know, attend attend the service or, at, you know, at, at least write a note or a card because families do remember those things, whether they, whether they received the card or not. Um, and, and, you know, particularly with a card or a note, that's something that can just take a few minutes out of mm-hmm. someone's time but can really be so meaningful and, I think, help the healing of a family to know that, that it sort of meant something more than just a medical case. And, and to know
0: that their baby was surrounded by staff that really cared about them.
1: Right, right, exactly. And and we were fortunate to have. And and part of the reason I know this is our surgeon that was on our team, wrote us this incredibly uh, moving letter after Dylan died. And I actually read it when I speak to medical students and healthcare mm-hmm. professionals to say, like, you know, you can take take off that professional hat, speak from your heart. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, what about um, families who have had a bad experience? Do you talk to families who have had a bad experience? And, uh, you know, after they've left the hospital, after their child's died, is there any support for that?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I would, you know, some of the things that Monica said, you know, unfortunately, if you haven't had a lot of support at the hospital itself, or maybe they don't have support programs, there are support in communities or organizations like Share that you can go to a support group and get that kind of support um, from from families that have gone through it and from professional counselors that can, that can help
0: you with that. Mm-hmm. And and what I like what you've done because I think that um, if you have had a bad experience, I think one thing that you can do is um, to be proactive and and. Uh, get involved with maybe changing your community or your hospital. But you have to do it in a really soft way, don't you?
1: Right. I mean, I think a, a prior, part of I think what I learned was to try to be part of that solution and you know, not, not just sort of complaining about the, you know, all the awful things that happened, but maybe suggestions. So this didn't happen, so what would have helped? You know, make suggestions on what would have helped you um, and maybe try to be a part of those solutions. Um, maybe you can be a family that can be there to support other families.
0: Um, I love that idea. It didn't work for our family. We didn't have that. We would like to get in touch with the hospital and say we're available if we can help you.
1: Right. And, and I think more and more hospitals are recognizing that that is an incredible resource and support for
0: families. hmm well, Beth, um, I wanted to. Talk, we've got to talk about all the awards you've gotten and all the things you've done. And you've done this award-winning educational film, "When a Child Is Dying," and uh, it's accompanied by a supportive care handbook. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, as I was speaking earlier, just learning the importance of the families' voices and their stories getting out there, and how that can help other families and help healthcare professionals know how to provide more compassionate care. And so I thought, as I'm speaking out there, I'm like, well, I can't I can't be everywhere. And as I was looking to see kind of what kind of resources there were for healthcare professionals in terms of them learning, a lot of it was from a healthcare professional's perspective, and which drove me crazy. I'm like, let the families speak for themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Those
1: stories are so powerful so um, I was on our ethics committee at my hospital here. And,
0: um, and what's your hospital?
1: Um, University of North Carolina Hospitals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Okay. And I had met another woman on the committee who had just done an um, educational film on adult end-of-life care. And so we teamed up and got four families, Um, to share their stories who had lost a child, ranging from um, a premature twin um, all the way to an 18-year-old. And so it's only the families speaking, um, and it's um, husbands and wives, their siblings. So it's really rich in terms of types of issues that it brings up. You can see the common issues across losses um, of children, um, and then differences, maybe depending on how old the child um, was. And then
0: you have a handbook that goes with it,
1: right? There's a handbook that goes with it uh, that helps have um, a discussion about the different stories. Um, the part I really love the most, though, is kind of the middle section of the handbook that has all kinds of suggestions on how to support families, whether you are a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, you're um, a healthcare professional. And all of these suggestions came from families. Mm-hmm.
0: What, what uh, is one that just comes to mind?
1: Oh, um, just all those little everyday things that people need help with. You know, after you have a child who's died and you're in shock and you're grieving and you just can barely function.
0: So mm-hmm. people
1: bringing all over those meals are really helpful, but things like finding out what maybe some of the family's favorite meals are, so they're not getting, you know, 20 pans of lasagna, um, and maybe bringing over breakfast or lunch, and not just
0: dinner. Oh, that's an idea, different meals, I like In that.
1: Different meals. Um, you know, it's, it's fall now, leaves are falling, rake the leaves on their yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Some people have gotten snow. Help shovel their snow. You, you know, know,
0: that's that's the kind of thing even a sibling could do, Heidi, go out and rake somebody's lease or something. Right. Absolutely. Right. So
1: just all those little
0: things that
1: have to sort of go on in your you know, everyday household, those those chores and errands. But yeah, like, I was uh, going to
0: say the errands. I mean, ask me if you, I'm going to the grocery store. Can I pick you something up for you also? What do you need?
1: Yes. Or, you know, to the post office, to
0: the mm-hmm. bank,
1: to the library, because it's it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to do those
0: everyday it's hard, things.
1: And it's hard going out on those errands and facing people that you know and having to maybe tell that story. And so, yes, all of that help um, from <coughs> friends and neighbors is very is, is supportive. To families.
0: Well, Beth, uh, tell us, tell our audience how to get in touch with you t- through the Compassionate Passages.
1: Right. Uh, the website is www.compassionatepassages.org.
0: And if I were feeling, you know, getting inspired by this show and what you're doing, what could I do? Could I, you know, do something for your organization? Could I get the, the video when a child dies and the supportive care handbook and talk to people at my hospital? You know, what, what kinds of things could I do?
1: Right. You can, that would be exactly something to do. You could purchase this and donate it to your hospital or health care center, medical school, Um, The other thing that my organization does, one of the books that I read that was helpful to me was Empty Cradle, Broken Heart, and we donate that book to bereaved families who have had the the loss of a baby or miscarriage or stillbirth. So um, if you're struggling and trying to figure out how do I help my friend, um, get in contact with us and we will send that book.
0: Or Or if you also want to help yourself you might want to get in contact with her and get that book for yourself. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So, anyway, thank you so much for being on the show. It's uh, been great talking to you and uh, and all the great work you're doing, Beth. Thank
1: you so much. Thanks, Beth.
0: You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.